with the readings uh, today uh, speaking so eloquently about the mercy of God, about those who have gone away from Him and come back, the joy that there is in heaven over one sinner in need of repentance and over 99 who have no need. The beautiful parable of the prodigal son, that son who had departed the father's home, squandering the inheritance, then coming back and uh, receiving that unconditional forgiveness from our Lord. You might think that the obvious theme for today would be confession and coming back to the Lord. And indeed it would be an obvious theme. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. There is uh, that beautiful um, scene in that parable of the prodigal son, where the son who's gone away and he has become indigent, completely lost his dignity, dressed in rags, uh, barefooted, you know, completely uh, having completely lost his dignity. And I saw the beautiful picture of this of the prodigal son when I was in St. Petersburg earlier uh, this year in the hermitage there. What does the father do? He reclothes the son, restores him in his royal dignity, clothes him with the finest robes, puts a ring on his finger, and has a feast. And so today I'm going to talk about clothing, vesture, uh, particularly the vestments of the priest, because I've heard it said in the parish that God doesn't care about vestments and reverence and ceremony. Well, the scriptures would beg to differ. The scripture reading that we heard today from the book of Exodus speaks about the rebellion of the people of God. They turned away from him. Even though if you just back up and read a few verses before that, uh, if you go home and read the Bible, you will see that the Lord had helped the people win a victory in battle. And then what do they do? They turn against him and make, a, make a, a calf out of molten, molten metal and worship it. That's in chapter 32. A few chapters ahead, chapter 39, we read how Moses, in obedience to God, consecrates Aaron and makes vestments for him. And he made of violet and purple, scarlet and fine linen, the vestments for Aaron to wear when he ministered in the holy places as the Lord commanded Moses. And it goes on in great detail for much of chapter 39, speaking about the intricacy of these vestments, which Aaron was to wear when he ministered in the holy places. He could not possibly enter into the holy places and offer sacrifice as a priest without first preparing him and himself and wearing the vestments. And a whole liturgy was devised by God so that the people would offer fitting sacrifice to him, not to some false idol. And the vestments that the priest wears in the Roman church, the Latin rite, have a certain dignity and uh, there's a ritual, which I'll explain. But if you think uh, the, the vestments of the Roman rite are rather ornate or elaborate, you should attend a Mass in the Eastern Church. Go to an Eastern Catholic Church and you'll see uh, great beauty uh, in, in the vestments. The vestments really um, remind the priest 
because of the layers and the, and the details that are in them, of the virtues that he needs to acquire and keep uh, for the service of the Lord. And I'm going to admit to total plagiarization today. This book called Nothing Superfluous, an explanation of the symbol of the right of St. Gregory the Great, which is how the, the extraordinary form of the Mass is sometimes called, by Father James Jackson, gives a beautiful explanation of, of the depth of symbolism that there is in the Roman rite. Um, and particularly, and the, he has a section on vestments, which I am uh, using for today's uh, homily. Uh, when he puts on the, um, the vestments, the celebrant is powerfully reminded that he must pursue virtue lest he become a sepulchre, whitewashed and beautiful on the outside, but within filled with rottenness and death. Before he puts on the vestments, the priest washes his hands with water in the sacristy, and he prays, Give strength to my hands, Lord, to wipe away all stain, so that I may serve thee in purity of mind and body. So even before he vests, the priest acknowledges his uncleanness, praying that God will wipe it away with that symbolic ritual of washing his hands in the sacristy, so that he may be able to offer the Mass worthily. And the first vestment the priest puts on is the amice. So I need my able assistant to show you an amice, because it's one you probably never see, unless you're in the sacristy. Just unwrapping it there. Easier to unfold than to fold. I won't test Julian on folding it now. You can do that later. <laughs> but, and it's this little garment that's here. It's around my neck. Thank you. And uh, it's uh, meant to cover up the priest's street garb. You shouldn't even see my Roman collar or the cassock or whatever I'm wearing underneath. should not be visible. Everything should be covered. And uh, he briefly places it over his head. He kisses, there's a cross on it. He kisses the cross, places it on the, on the crown of his head, and then on his shoulders and ties it round his waist and tucks it in. As he prays, Lord, set the helmet of salvation on my head to fend off all assaults of the devil. The reference to a helmet evokes the sense of a battle, and the Mass is a form of spiritual warfare. The devils will seek to dis distract the priest, to disrupt his prayer, whether by things going on in the sacristy before Mass, which is why there should really be silence in the sacristy before Mass, all unnecessary conversation avoided, so the priest may say these prayers quietly and with recollection. Or indeed, there might be things going on in the church during Mass, which might cause him to be distracted. Indeed, the devil might present vile thoughts to his imagination. Against all of these, the priest wears the helmet of salvation. In fact, St. Paul tells all of us, you and me, to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6. So all of us need to take up this helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit if we are to win the battle of everyday life, the spiritual battles which we engage in as we seek uh, sanctity. After the Amis comes the alb, which is the long white garment that he wears 
uh, covers himself with. And as he puts the album, the priest prays, Make me white, O Lord, and cleanse my heart, that being made white in the blood of, of the Lamb, I may deserve an eternal reward. The priest prays that his soul should be innocent and spotless and free from sin. It, of course, evokes the baptismal innocence, which is symbolized by the white garment that is placed on the newly baptized. In the book of the Apocalypse, we read about the white-robed martyrs, whose robes were made white by washing in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And the alb covers the whole body of the priest, signifying the complete freedom from sin with which he must enter the sanctuary. Next, the priest ties the cincture round his waist, which is uh, this cord that you see here. Um, and uh, as, he's, as he puts the cincture round his waist, he prays, Gird me, O Lord, with the cincture of purity, and quench in my heart the fire of concupiscence, that the virtue of continence and chastity may abide in me. The priest is reminded of the grave obligation of living a chaste life. Now, in my view, unfortunately, many priests uh, have dispensed with wearing the amis and with the cincture. And indeed, the prayers that I'm telling you about are no longer of obligation. It used to be uh, obligatory for the priest to pray these. Now it's optional. I have them posted up in the sacristy there in Latin and English and pray them as I, as I put these, uh, the vestments on. But if you think that, you know, the fact that many priests no longer say these prayers, or they dispense with wearing the cincture and the amis altogether, is it any wonder that there has been a crisis of priestly chastity, and now, indeed, a reopening of the question of priestly celibacy or continence? If priests are no longer praying for these virtues as they uh, prepare to celebrate the most holy mysteries, no, long, no, no wonder, perhaps, that they are not being granted these virtues. Saying these prayers every day and being conscious of these vestments about one's body reminds the priest that he is flesh and blood and needs the help of God to lead a chaste life. The cincture is also a reminder of being bound, of being tied up and no longer free, just as Christ was tied and bound to the pillar at which he was scourged. The priest may then put on the maniple, which is this garment over my left wrist. He first kisses the cross, uh, the small cross in the center, and then he prays, May I deserve, O Lord, to bear the maniple of weeping and sorrow, in order that I may joyfully reap the reward of my labors. So the maniple is a symbol of the labor of the priest, the hard work of recollection and prayer during the Mass. Originally, the maniple was a garment used by Romans to wipe away sweat, you know, on a hot day. And with this, all this labor, one might sweat a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't dare do that with this, because the Auto Society pay good money for these vestments. And I wouldn't want to, to ruin them. But the maniple can remind the priest that he must collaborate with our Lord in wiping out not only his own sins, but the sins of his flock through his own acts of penance. 
The maniple also represents the toil and tears of sowing the seed of God's word, but also the hope of reaping a great harvest according to Psalm 125. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Going, they went and wept, casting their seed, but coming they shall return with joyfulness, carrying their sheaves. Uh, and the, the Latin word for the sheaves there is manipulus, manipulus suus. They're maniples, if you like. They're sheaves. So it's, it reminds us of the of the fruit of the harvest. Then the priest puts on the stole. I have a white one here, just so you can see it more clearly, because obviously I'm wearing one under the chasuble, which you can't see. He kisses the cross on the top of it, places it over his neck and round his shoulders, as he prays. Lord, restore the stole of immortality which I lost through the collusion of our first parents. And, unworthy as I am to approach thy sacred mysteries, may may I yet gain eternal joy. As our first parents forfeited paradise through disobedience, the priest must submit to the yoke of obedience like Christ, the new Adam, who undid the knot of Adam's disobedience by his obedience to the Father. And the stole, of course, is a relatively light garment. In fact, as Jesus promised, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yet it does represent the heavy burden of the cross, which our Lord freely took upon his shoulders. And so too must the priest bear uh, to the cross of his trials, uh, the weight of which pales in comparison to the uh, trials of our Lord in his passion. Then the priest puts on the chasuble, this outer garment, as he says, O Lord, thou who hast said, my yoke is sweet and my burden light, grant that I may carry this yoke and burden in such a manner as to obtain thy grace. The chasuble represents charity. It's worn over all the other vestments, as charity is the highest of all virtues. It's above all other virtues we might also bear in mind that charity covers a multitude of sins. So underneath all this, it's a lot of sin, (laughs) a sinner, all right? But uh, you don't see that, you see a priest. It can be decorated in many ways, but traditionally the decorations will always remind us of the passion, whether with a single bar on the front representing the pillar on which our Lord was scourged, or a cross on the back, or, as you see in the vestments that um, I'm wearing here, uh, the, the Y-shaped cross, depicting the way Christ's hands and arms uh, might have been seen as he hung upon the cross. So when the priest ascends the altar, he does so like Christ, carrying his cross, accomplishing our salvation at the altar. Ultimately, the priest must offer himself in total identity with Christ, That's why it's so important that you do not see the priest or avert to him greatly, but rather that you see Christ. That's why he covers himself up, so that you don't notice him really. So the priest must offer himself total total identity with Christ, proclaiming, this is my body which is for you. The priest offers his body to Christ, so that in turn Christ may take his body and his words Uh, so that his body may be given for all of us in the Holy Eucharist. The priest also must himself be ready to offer himself as a victim upon the altar, 
upon which burning coals were placed at its consecration, so that whatever is placed upon it, bread and wine, all our lives, our very selves, and of course Christ himself, may be consumed and become a holocaust offered for our salvation. The altar is a furnace of divine love, and it is there that the Lord enkindles the divine fire of love on the earth that at least some sparks of divine love may penetrate our cold hearts and inflame them with the ardor of that love. And finally, that hat that amuses so many of you that I uh, introduced to the parish, the Beretta. Well, it has four corners to remind the priest that he must spread the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Then it has three tabs representing the Blessed Trinity, which is the highest and greatest of our doctrines. And so the Beretta is physically above all the other vestments, as the dogma of the Trinity is above all other dogmas. Well, I hope that's convinced you that, in fact, God does care about vestments and ritual at the Mass, and I'll be speaking about other liturgical things in due course as well. Uh, Well, what about you? Should this affect you in any way? Well, it's interesting that during the week, uh, you know, I get emails from the schools, and the schools were having their um, beginning of year masses last week. I was at the Marist uh, uh, school on, on Friday, and a very beautiful mass there. Uh, but I got the email about a mass at uh, O'Hara on Wednesday, and uh, it, get, it was an email to the parents and everyone else with dress code. So here's the dress code uh, that they stipulated for the school mass Uh, last Wednesday at O'Hara. All boys must wear a white button-down shirt and a plaid uniform tie with khaki or navy uniform pants. Shorts are not permitted. And for anyone who hasn't got a... You know that uh, um, our Lord teaches, you know, uh, you will be sent to hell where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth and someone in the congregation says, I haven't got any teeth. And the priest says, teeth will be provided. (laughs) Well, in case anyone hasn't got a tie, they put, a a limited quantity of bow ties and regular ties are available for sale in O'Hara's front office. No excuses. What about the girls? All girls must wear one of the following. Plaid uniform skirt and white button-down shirt. Plaid uniform jumper with collared white shirt underneath. No pants or shorts are permitted. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to wear at Mass, and I didn't want to speak about modesty when the, you know, during the height of summer in case I might embarrass people. But shouldn't all this make us think about how we prepare ourselves both internally and externally for Mass? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be nice if each one of us, in our own way and according to our own position in life, our state state of life and, and, and status in life would kind of have the idea of a Sunday best. Sunday Mass is very special. How can I prepare myself for that Mass? And particularly if you are entering into this sacred place of the sanctuary performing some ministry, whether you're a cantor, a reader, or extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. I ask you to just think about the fact that you are are conducting a sacred ministry. And so think, we're not asking you to dress in sacred vestments, 
but you should think what should I, how should I dress in order to uh, worthily carry out this sacred ministry. The priesthood is certainly a sacred ministry at the altar, but also the, the others are as well, reading, giving communion, uh, being a cantor. So I just put that to you uh, because as, as was reflected, you know, the altar is that furnace of love and we hope that some embers of love at least might enkindle the love in all of us. Sometimes the way we prepare ourselves, not only internally, but externally, is a sign of our love for God, and indeed, charity to our neighbour.